0: Okay, so if you uh, didn't get a sheet when you came in this morning, I think there's still a few back on the table there. So you can grab one of those if you, if you would need that. Well, one of the uh, blessings of parenting at this stage of life is my daughter's desire to hear a good story. She's not content anymore with simply being read to, although she still likes that, but in addition to that, she desires for me or Sabrina to tell her a story from memory, and it really doesn't matter what story we tell her. She loves them all. In fact, we can tell her the same story over and over and over again, and she delights to hear it each time telling us what's going to happen in the story before we actually get there, and seeming to pick out new details as as we go along. And as I pondered that, I thought, you know, Selah's desire is really a desire that God has put into the heart of every person, right? I mean, who doesn't love a good story, right? Whether you're reading it through a book, whether you're hearing it live from someone, or you're seeing it in a movie, Right? We're enraptured with story. And that God-given desire we have, especially as Christians, is there because we are involved in the greatest story ever told. And that is still unfolding. A story that is not fiction at all, but is based on real historical events, present-day realities, and future guarantees, And it is this story, the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the story of his person and his work, that we must keep in view and keep reminding one another of if we are to truly be helpful to one another as we do life together. So this morning we come to the conclusion of an eight-month journey together where we have looked at why and how to love our church and how to be more effective in our service to the Lord and to one another. And all of this study that we have done has been based on the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is the foundation from which all true ministry and service flows. So we're wise to remind ourselves of it afresh this morning from a big picture perspective. So with that, you can turn in your Bibles if you would like to Ephesians chapter 1. You'll see on your notes there uh, that we're going to briefly look at verses 3 through 14, just kind of surveying those as we go along. And this is a great portion of Scripture that summarizes the story of God's redemptive work, past, present, and future. And it's an excellent portion for us to continually remind ourselves of for our own hearts and as we are counseling one another on this pilgrimage to glory. And as we begin looking at this section, we notice in verse 3 that God has given us in Christ every spiritual blessing. Look there with me at Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly Now, Paul is going to lay out what those spiritual blessings are, that is, those blessings that have been given to us by the Spirit. And I'll mention them now, and we'll kind of look at those a little more when we get to them. But what we see here, just kind of surveying this, is we see the blessing of election in verse 4, of adoption in verse 5, of being in the beloved, that is, being in Christ, in verse 6. We see the blessing of redemption and forgiveness in verse 7. The blessing of wisdom, insight, and knowledge of God and His will being given to us in verses 8 through 10. The blessing of inheritance in verse 11. And the blessing of being sealed with the Holy Spirit as we await the fullness of our salvation in verses 13 through 14. So, I mean, this, this section is really packed with some very meaty truths about who God is and what he has done for us in Christ and what he is going to do. Now, let's, let's just kind of walk through these together, specifically looking at them in chronological order. And you'll see on your notes there that in verses 4 and 5 and verse 11b, we see God's activity in eternity past. So let's go ahead and read those verses together. It'll be up here on the screen for you. Okay, Ephesians 1, 4 through 5 and 11b, if somebody would like to read that for us.
1: Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to
0: the counsel of his will. Thanks, Lord. Now, when we think about these verses, the question that I want to ask you, and let's, let's talk about this a little bit, is how do these verses encourage you in your battle against sin and in the many trials, sufferings, and afflictions that you face? And also, how can you use these verses in encouraging somebody through counsel who is struggling with some sin or trials and afflictions and suffering? How does what God has done in eternity past, how can that encourage you and how can you use that to encourage one another? comfortable waiting.
2: (laughs) Rick? Rick? Um, Yeah, I think as we consider the the, the fact that uh, God's purpose in calling us and and electing us is as it says, that we would be holy and blameless before it. Uh, That's his goal. That's his intention for us. And that's what he has determined for us from before the creation of the world. This isn't know something he just came up with it's something that he's going to abandon he's going to do right what he began and what he called us to so even while we're struggling even uh, when we feel the weakness of our flesh uh, we know we can turn to him because he will accomplish that which he's which he's beyond and we can
0: amen. To do that. amen amen very good all right anybody else
2: uh, i think for for me what I see in it is the fact that whatever suffering or temptation that we're going through that it's not something that's happening to us randomly yeah. uh, God has purposed this to be this way, this is the spirit led Christ into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil so no temptation is taking us to what God has purposed to be and that we can draw strength from that, yeah. we can draw courage to stand up against that temptation knowing that this is the Father's will that we we'll be tempted in this manner right. uh, and so you know, just by the fact that he has control of all things, even our temptations and our sufferings, it can it can encourage us and we can use that to encourage other people. Very good. Yeah.
0: Nothing nothing's meaningless, right? <coughs> nothing's happen chance, it's all ordained by God what we're going through, George? See those verses um, just to be overwhelmed
2: that you chose us and we've that got that the child doesn't think his parents and to to we could just look for ourselves as orphans and not having parents and him wanting us and choosing us and taking us in. Right. We just always always overwhelm with gratitude to want police and want to want to do the right, well, right. The right thing.
0: Yes. Amen. Amen. Okay, very good. Anybody else? Yeah. So those those should. Did you have anything, you guys? Okay. Um, you know those realities of realizing that it was out of God's good pleasure and love that He chose us. Right. Just meditating on that reality, that before the foundation of the world, God chose us in Christ. It wasn't anything that we have done, or are doing, or will do. Right? He didn't look upon us as a righteous person and, and say, oh, I really want that person to be with me. They can really be effective for my kingdom. Right? Just the opposite, actually. Right, Listen, he, he knew all the struggles that we would have as Christians and all the struggles that we will have as Christians. And listen, his love for us with that knowledge is unchanging. And that should encourage us that that he's for us and not against us. And listen, his decree in eternity past proves that, right? It demonstrates that reality. I want you to notice also here that, as Pastor Rick said, that he chose us that we might be holy and blameless before him. And... We can look at that in a couple ways, referring to the fact that because we are in Christ, we are seen by God as holy and blameless. That's what we are in position before God. But practically, though, that is still being worked on, right? So we can have great confidence that because God decreed in eternity past that we be holy and blameless, that he will continue to work to that end in our lives in the here and now. He's not going to allow us—listen— if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, he's not going to allow you to remain comfortable in sin for an extended period of time, right? The Spirit of God will bring conviction upon you, and that's the encouragement that we have. He's not going to allow us to continue to, to have a grumbling spirit as we suffer and go through trials, right? He's going to convict us of these things because He is committed to making us holy as He is holy. So we should be thankful for that spirit-produced conviction and guilt that comes when we sin. And we must know where to go with that conviction and guilt, and that is to the throne of God, where we have an advocate who intercedes for us. So it's very helpful for us to remember What God has done in eternity past in electing us. This is, listen, this is good medicine for our soul, amen. And the souls of those that we're trying to help. This is balm, so to speak, for our spiritual wounds. And this is a glorious reminder that he is for us and not against us. Listen, even when all of our circumstances tempt us to think differently, we go back to a passage like this and we remember God's decree to elect us in his Son and to make us holy. So that war that we have against sin, indeed it is a burden, but in a sense it's also a blessing because that reality that we are in this fight against sin is the spirit-working holiness within us, and that should encourage us rather than discourage us. Further, We see Paul stating here that we were also predestined for adoption through Jesus Christ. And again, that it was the love of God that compelled him to do this for us. Okay, verse 5 there. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now, thinking about that aspect of being adopted through Christ, what encouragement can we glean from that? So We can think about election and how that works and how we can encourage our own hearts and encourage one another. What about adoption? How does that encourage us and how can we use that as an encouragement toward others? George kind of hit on this a little bit already. But Any other thoughts on that?
2: To, to God Yeah. And so
0: people
1: who are outside the family of God judgment is upon us right we're children God right. has adopted us and so even the hardship is something loving yeah so amen
2: that's incredible definitely good, good point so with, with that
0: reality that God's disposition toward us as his children is always a loving disposition right it's never a punitive disposition as a judge to a rebellious subject but as a father to his His children wanting what's best for his children, right? Good. Yeah, Dave.
3: uh, uh, A lot, a lot of times, things come into our lives. It's for our good, but it's also for His glory. Yes. But it's not as uh, you know where we think of God as some distant person. Yeah. But it's for our Father's glory. That's right. Amen. So we can we can rejoice. Yes. That he's receiving glory right. of
0: the father and we're, you know, that he's allowing his children to go through something right yep yeah amen so that should be an encouragement to all of us as we think about the reality of our adoption in Christ and, and it also it's always a good reminder right to think about what does adoption presuppose that we were outside the family of God right We were rebels against him, worthy of his wrath, and in his love, he chose to pour out his affection upon us. So, before the foundation of the world, as this states, God looked upon us in love, knowing all the ways that we would rebel against him. Listen, both as a believer, as well as an unbeliever, right? It's one thing to go into an orphanage and adopt a helpless child, but it's a whole other thing to go into an orphanage and adopt your enemies, and to do so at the expense of putting your own child through unspeakable torment and death in order to purchase these orphans. And there's no human category for that type of love, right? That is indeed divine, but What this shows us is God's unspeakable love for us. And that's a foundation that we must continue to remind ourselves and one another of frequently, that God loves us. And as Paul says here in Ephesians 2, verse 4, with a great love. As we suffer and and we go through trials as Believers, one of the temptations that Satan will use is to tempt us to doubt God's love for us, God's care for us. He, he says something to this effect, surely if you were one of God's own, you wouldn't be going through this. Does this seem like love to you? Right? That's the whisper of the enemy. So it's vital that we get a strong hold on what God decreed in eternity past regarding his relationship with us, that of a father to his children. And listen, keeping these truths of what God ordained in eternity past in view will keep us stable in the midst of the war that we are in, and it will also enable us to be effective, edifying counselors to each other. Any other thoughts there on number one before we move on to number two? point, Isaiah 53 is a very edifying passage to remember the substitutionary work of Christ on our behalf. All right, let's move on to our second point here, there on your notes, and that is God's activity in present history. And when I say present history, what I'm referring to is from the day that God brought you into Christ until now. Now let's go ahead and look at some passages together here. This is Ephesians 1, 7 through 9, 11a, 12 through 14a. So there's kind of a bunch of different things that refer to this reality here in this passage. So if I can have somebody read that for us. passage there. So let's go back to the beginning of this passage and, and think through it a little bit together. We notice first that we have redemption, which is to say that we have been redeemed. We've been bought. Right? We've been purchased. It speaks of God delivering us from bondage. It reaches back into the Old Testament with God's deliverance of the children of Israel from the bondage Of Egypt. And Paul says this to the church at Corinth that you were bought with a price. In that context, he's talking about the necessity of being uh, sexually pure. And the reminder there is you're not your own. You were bought with a price. And so the question that we would say or ask from this is what was that price? We were bought with a price. What is that price that we were bought with? Well, we see here in Ephesians 1 that the price was the blood of Christ. His life and death were the necessary payment to satisfy the demands of God's law and his justice. Now, think about this a little bit. If you pay a small amount for an item, whatever that may be, Typically, you're not greatly concerned with the welfare of that item. I mean, you may have some value of it, but in in accordance with how much you've paid for it is the degree that you care for it, typically. In other words, if it was lost or damaged, you don't get that upset because you paid very little for it. Perhaps you can just go right back out and purchase Another one, and we can all probably think of examples of things that we've either, either broken or lost or whatever the case may be that wasn't really that big of a deal to us because it didn't have that much value to us. But if you have something that you've paid a very substantial amount for, you typically take greater care and concern for it, right? right? It's much more valuable to you. It costs you a lot. It's one of a kind, whatever the case may be there. And so your care and your concern for it is is much greater. Right? I can just think of instances at our house where Sela grabs something and it's oh put that down, honey. You know, okay. you grab something else. Put that down right now. <laughs> right? It's, it's the difference between what value the item the item has. And when when we think about that aspect, that we have been bought with a price and we transfer that into the spiritual realm, and listen, we think about what Christ paid in order for us to be His, in order for you to be His own. How much care do you think Christ has for you? Listen, this is vital to remember when we're tempted to doubt God's love for us, when we are battling against sin or going through some trial. And listen, we must be able also to effectively communicate that truth to each other. Listen, God cannot love us more than he does. Ever think about that reality? God cannot love us any more than he does. He can't demonstrate it in any greater way than how he has demonstrated through giving us his son. And listen, his son didn't begrudgingly lay down his life for us. He did so with great pain, but that great pain was birthed out of great love. Listen to the way that Jesus describes his care for us, his people. Somebody can read that for us John 10:11, 14 through 15 and 17 through 18. So, a couple things that we see there. Number one is the love of the shepherd for the sheep. And that's us, right? We are are the sheep. And he lays down his life for the sheep. And then at the end there, he says, No one takes it from me. No one takes my life from me. But I lay it down of my own accord, right? So, Christ willingly went to the cross on our behalf. We see this also in John chapter 17. The high priestly prayer of Jesus is what it's often referred to. You have Jesus praying there at the beginning first for his disciples at that time and then he transitions in verse 20. and says, I don't only pray for these but also for all who will believe in me through their word. And the summation of it is this in verse 24. Listen to this. Listen to the desire of the Son of God for his people. John 17:24 Father, I desire that they, his people, also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. I and mean, that is staggering. That the son of God says, "Here is my desire, Here's what I want. I want them to be with me. They may see my glory. Isn't that an amazing reality? Now, this is Christ's desire for us as his people, that we would be with him forever. Because we often look at ourselves, and especially in the midst, as Pastor Rick said, in those times of the weakness of the flesh, when we feel the frailty of our own hearts and our just deviant ways that we seem to constantly be going down. We feel the wretchedness of our own sin. And here's this overarching statement by the Son of God, I desire that they would be with me where I am. It's easier to believe this verse on those days where everything went well. Your devotions, you nailed it. Intimate time with the Lord, you're witnessing to people, you're caring for people left and right you feel like, okay, now I've kind of earned earned that statement by Jesus. But on those days when you're weak and tired and the flesh is overtaking you and you're irritable and things are going horrible, we tend not to believe these verses in times like that. And that's, again, because we're looking within instead of looking at what Christ has done and all that he has accomplished for us. So hopefully we can see how knowing what Christ has done for us affects us in the here and now as we continue to grow into his likeness. As we move on here in this passage, we recognize, we recognize that by Christ redeeming us, our, our trespasses, our sins have been forgiven. In other words... The current sins that you are battling against are sins that have already been paid for by the blood of Christ. They have been canceled in the sense that they will never stand against you to condemn you. That's an important reality. Look what Paul says here in Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14, if somebody can read that for us.
1: dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Okay.
0: This is one of my favorite passages. And this ought to be encouraging for us and very important to remind ourselves and each other, since we are told that our adversary accuses us before the throne of God day and night in Revelation chapter 12. So this process will continue until that last stage comes to fruition. But this is a very important reminder as we war against this sin that remains within us. We have to remember that God in Christ has forgiven us all our trespasses. And again, how did he do that? by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. So you have this, this view of this record that is being kept of all your sins, right? Every thought, every word, every action that has missed the mark, which is incalculable, really, when you think about it. All of that, that record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, which those legal demands cried out for our condemnation, our death, wages of sin's death, we're told that God set it aside, nailing it to the cross. Right. So there is no more record of death that stands against us. God has canceled all of our sins. That should bring us great encouragement to know that this is the work that God has performed. So that aspect of where we are right now in the process of being sanctified, It's going to continue all the way until that last stage comes to fruition, which is the third point on your notes there, and that is God's activity in the future. Now, I want to think again, practically, for a moment here, how should what God is going to do in the future encourage us in the here and now, okay? These, these promises that are laid forth of what God is going to do for us, and we'll look at these real quick. Ephesians 1, 10, and 14b. Somebody can read that for us.
2: As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of the praise of his
0: Okay, and that last part referring to the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. <clears throat> okay, so there's something forthcoming. God talks about a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ and the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. So there's something that's ahead for us as the people of God. How does that, what is in the future, encourage you in the here and now?
1: talked to
3: Dad the other day about
1: like, how unbelievers don't have the hope that we have. It's a sure hope. We know that Christ lived, He died, He rose, and it's it's sure, and it's anchored in our hearts. Right. So we constantly have this hope that whatever is happening, it's on purpose. The Lord sees it, He allows it. You know, We right. have all this confidence that there's nothing
3: by accident. So we have that to look forward Amen. to. Amen.
0: Amen. Absolutely. Very good. Okay. Audrey?
3: I have a question. Yes. <clears throat> he says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the acquired possession of it to the praise of his glory? Yes. I must have misunderstood you because I thought you said that we will have the Holy Spirit with us in the future.
0: Well, what I said was I, I kind of broke up. That's why I have 14B on there. So I broke up 14A and 14B. What I was referring to there is at the beginning of verse 14, it talks about the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. So that's referring to, so I was just trying to clarify, it was referring to the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of the inheritance, all that God has promised us. All that God, yeah. Yeah, all that God has promised us in Christ. That's right. Lord? Yeah, I
1: was it gives us hope and then at the same time we know that our living now um, there's no vanity as we've been learning in Ecclesiastes there's no fleetingness our work now goes towards that great I mean we live towards you know going in that direction yes Um, so there's no like well I work just to feed my kids and daughters and my, my, my kids and my wife and then when I die, I die. No, there's this, I work to the glory of God. There is immediate good in it, and at the same time,
0: it gives glory to the one whom
1: I'll be with as well.
0: Amen. Amen. Very good. George? Yeah, know, we have sweet
2: weak words in our society today, like everything is awesome, and everything is good, but I guarantee, to make that emphasis, I guarantee, it it even is the Holy Spirit it. Right. And the fact that we use the word hope, not like the word uses the word hope. Right. We like wish for thinking. Yep. Hope, as you said, is an assurance. Yes. It's yep. So to, to put the weight on the words that belong, right. it's so much richer. It's right. So you know, guarantees, not where we see guarantees. Yeah, the 5, the five, the five rate, you know, Right. The
0: five right, right. Absolutely. Yeah, Very good. Okay, Brian. I think
2: being united. Christ is more encouraging as we
0: grow in Christ because not only do we see where He comes from,
2: and so we can see the kind of progression of sanctification, we know it's going to be way better be closer to Christ than we are now. Yes. But
0: because we increasingly see ourselves as more sinful, and we know that's all going to be taken away. So right now we have sweet fellowship with God, in His Word, and prayer with each other. We know that's about be better.
2: And we also know we be Yeah, amen. course. I think a great encouragement for us all, whether return to the past, present, history, or future, is the finished work of Christ. That's what I kept uh, pondering on throughout all of this. And uh, the words of our Lord on the cross when he said, It is finished
3: challenges of the church today is, is a tendency to want to add to, rather than being obedient
2: to the rest of and right? having that full assurance that it is you, it is not we are his. It's, so, it's such a wonderful encouragement.
0: Amen. Amen. Yeah, these, these two verses here that kind of point ahead to what is going to take place are already taking place, right? It's not something that's just future-oriented completely, right? The future is broken into the present as we have been made new creatures in Christ Jesus. We're part of this, as Ryan said, as God says he's going to unite all things in him, we've already been united to Christ. So that part of the process, we're already involved in it's just going to be manifest fully at the last day. And because we have been given the Holy Spirit now, he's the guarantee. Right? He's the down payment of our inheritance. He's the first fruits, as it says in another place, which is pointing to the reality that absolutely, because you have this now, it's guaranteed that you will have it in the future. Right? Okay, So this should keep us encouraged to recognize that what God has begun, he will complete. That should strengthen our hearts. What God had predestined before the foundation of the world, he will bring to pass at the consummation of his kingdom. And all of what has transpired up to this point in history, all that is taking place in the here and now, and all that will take place is all part of God's plan. In Christ, God is making all things new. And He has given us the great promise that He will complete this work that He has begun. He will bring forth the new heavens and the new earth wherein righteousness dwells and sin is completely eradicated. He will bring forth the day when we will behold the Son of God as He is unveiled in all His glory. What a glorious day that is. He will bring forth the day when we will acquire the fullness of our inheritance to the praise of his glory. So as we see from this text here in Ephesians 1, that just as with the sin of Adam, all the created universe was affected and cursed, in the same way but infinitely better with the righteousness of Christ, or that one act of righteousness as Paul describes it in Romans 5, all the created universe will be perfected forever. In describing this glorious reality of the consummation, John puts it this way in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. Somebody can read that for us. And I
3: saw a new heaven and a new earth, the first heaven. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned in her home. And I heard a loud voice from the front, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their people. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be. Neither shall we be wanting to find any more. For the poor poor things have passed away. And
0: he who is seated on the throne of hold. I think you hold. Amen. So the promises of God will come to pass, and this reality should bring us great encouragement in times when we are tempted to be discouraged and cast down. We should be able to take passages like this and counsel one another that we should not despair. Yes, we will have sorrow and trials and sufferings on this earth. Jesus promised that. But this in no way should shake our confidence in that all that God has done is doing and will do. And we need passages like these to be our lamp as we walk in this dark world to cheer our hearts and to guide our way. We ought not to walk defeated in this world. We of all people, as Corrine mentioned, know where this is headed. And so let us encourage one another to keep looking to Christ and although now we see him dimly, the day is coming where we will see him face to face and know him even as we are fully known. Amen? Right. It's coming. (laughs) And that concludes our study this morning and through these eight months together. Hopefully it's been an encouraging time for you. This is the story. This is our story. We have been included in this redemptive act of God bring us to himself and how that ought to encourage us and how we ought to keep that before one another continuously. It is our grand hope and it is a hope that is sure and steadfast and most certainly will come to pass. Any final questions, comments? Yes.
1: um, The fact that, you know, I I think about the tomb, the empty tomb, and everything before and after. Like, that's a historical event. And I just think how
2: everything goes back to that. And as Paul said, you
1: know, if that did not happen, everything then your faith is in vain. And I just love
0: that. Like, our faith is actually, it's an actual event that happened. Undisputed. Right. Amen. Absolutely. It's a great hope that we have. It's a hope, like, unlike any other... All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this great passage that we have been able to look through and how indeed it should encourage and cheer our hearts, Lord God, to think of what you have decreed in eternity past Choose a people for your son to give to him. And wonder of wonders, we have been counted in that number. Please help us to never lose perspective of that, Lord, as we go through this world. May we always remain humble as we recognize that we have been given ears to hear and eyes to see the truth. Who you are. Lord, make us a people who are constantly encouraging one another and counseling one another on this foundation of the gospel and all that it entails. Please help us to that end, Lord. That is the kind of people that we want to be, coming alongside one another, loving one another continuously pointing one another to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We thank you for this time that you've given us to study. I pray that it would bear much fruit, Lord, in our church for the sake of your name. Deepen our fellowship, increase our love for you. For we know that when that happens, love, Lord, our, our love for one another will increase also. So we ask that you would work to that end. We love you
2: as you first loved us. In Jesus' name.